right, welcome into Pickaxe and Roll. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is late Friday night as I wanted to get out a quick podcast before the game on Saturday. Uh, this is going to be a shorter one. It's it's not going to be uh, a 45-minute episode. So if you're going into this, it's all good. Just put it on 1.5 times speed. You're good. Just uh, I wanted to get out some numbers. I wanted to get out some adjustments that I think that Portland is going to make heading into Game 4. This is an important game in this series. I spoke about this last night. Basically, this is the series for Portland. Very few teams come back from 3-1. Very few teams have the stomach to come back from 3-1. The Nuggets were one of those teams, but they also did it in a bubble, uh, though they did do it twice, so hard to call it a fluke in that case. They had Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. The Blazers, they have Damian Lillard. I'm not sure if they have enough behind him in order to come back from 3-1. So they are going to go all out. Game 4, down 2-1, on their home floor. This is the time for them to go all out and to try to make this a series again. Because if it goes 3-1, Denver has three opportunities, two on their home court, in order to close it out. So, you're going to get Portland's best effort. Going into game one or going to game four, let's talk about some of the stats of the series, and then we'll talk about some of the adjustments that I think Portland will make in their in the second segment. Let's talk about it here. I pulled seven stats. I've watched this series uh, multiple times over. I made sure to watch game three again before recording this one. Uh, there are some things that stand out on rewatch. But I wanted to focus mostly on the stats. I wanted to focus mostly on the numbers, take all of these three games uh, just from an objective standpoint, talk about what's actually happening. Number one, Nikola Jokic is averaging 36 points per game. It's pretty simple. 57.7% from the field, 50% from three, 94.4% from the line. He has made almost every free throw. I think he's missed one. But when you make almost every free throw, when you make as many shots as you do from the field against tough coverage, even though it's single coverage, you're still getting Yusuf Nurkic on him most of the time. Uh, When he gets anybody else, it's pretty much barbecue chicken. He's only averaging 3.7 assists, but he's contributing so many points by just being out there. Think of an assist like one assist is worth about 2.4 points. So 3.7 assists. We're going to call that uh, 1.5, 7.2. We'll call that 8.7 points. So he's averaging about 45 points created per game. And when he's out there for as much as he is, when he's out there, like it's not as much as what he normally does. But everything feels so impactful because of what they have to do in order to stop him because he is the focal point of everything that they're trying to stop. So him being as unstoppable as he has been, that really has been the focal point of the series. That is the number one stat. Is that Nikola Jokic, they're asking him to beat them, and he has 36 points per game, 34 points in game one, 38 points in game two, 36 points in game three. Number two, the wide open shooting, the wide open threes, the Nuggets, They have attempted 40 total wide-open threes throughout the three games. The Blazers have attempted just 38. Why this matters 
is because the Blazers have made a conscious decision to single cover Nikola Jokic. The Nuggets have made a conscious decision to throw as many players at Damian Lillard as possible. The fact that Denver is has generated more total wide open threes with their offense than what the Blazers have done is significant in my opinion. And why it's significant here? The Nuggets are shooting 50% on those looks. The Blazers are at 42%. They haven't capitalized in the nature that the Nuggets have. The Nuggets, they get those looks pretty consistently against a really bad Blazers defense. The Nuggets defense, this is a bad matchup for them, but they're, they've still been better than what the Blazers have been. It's not really close either. The Blazers are at 42% from three on those wide open attempts. So it's not like they're shooting, they're like underperforming massively here. I think they underperformed in game three, but they overperformed in games one and two. So Denver's been in a situation where they're now out shooting Portland. That is not something that I expected heading into this thing. I will say the Blazers are also shooting a super high percentage on tightly contested threes. 13 of 30, 42%. That's really good. Hard to argue with those numbers, of course. It's also hard to argue that there might be some regression there. If Denver continues to force the Blazers to take tightly contested threes, they've taken 30 of those compared to the wide open threes, then that bodes well for Denver, I think. There are reasons to think that even if Denver regresses from wide open uh, for wide open shot percentage, that they can still outshoot Portland because they're generating better looks consistently. Number three, the Nuggets are shooting 47% on threes with zero dribbles, 47%. They aren't an off the dribble team, at least not with Murray. Uh, Porter has shot pretty well off the dribble this series. He's at 40%. But for the most part, you're not looking to Faku Campazzo, Monte Morris, uh, Shaq Harrison, Marcus Howard. You're not looking to Michael Porter to do that extensively either. Like Nikola Jokic will take standstill threes, and he's taken them at a high level. He's done really well in those situations. The Blazers take a ton of off-the-dribble looks, led by Damian Lillard, of course, uh, but Carmelo Anthony will take those, CJ McCollum will take those, Norman Powell, Anthony Simons, although he hasn't taken them much this series. Denver's going to be in a better position if they can limit the number of spot-up threes with zero dribbles that the Blazers get. Because they shoot a high percentage on those looks. It's not low. Number four. Damian Lillard, he is shooting 48.6% on 11.6 pull-up threes per game. So remember when I said that the Blazers were shooting pretty well? That's the reason why. Damian Lillard is unbelievable. 11.6 pull-up threes per game is ludicrous numbers. He's taking them from deeper and deeper out. His game, ch- his shot chart in game three 
was absurd. It was just one of those things that if you're the Nuggets, you have Nikola Jokic. And, like, it's hard enough to defend with Nikola Jokic in, in like, spread pick-and-roll situations. But if you're Damian Lillard shooting 48% on that many pull-up threes per game, it's almost impossible. This feels like the Utah series in a lot of ways for the Nuggets, except Nikola Jokic is even better, and he's not facing Rudy Gobert. He's facing Yusuf Nurkic, um, and and as Cantor, by the way. Denver, they've done a good job of forcing those shots to come from farther out. One of the things that you look at when you look at the game chart or the shot chart for Damian Lillard in Game Three was that the deep nature of those threes, they're at 27 feet, 29 feet, 32 feet. Very few of them are up closer to the line. The Nuggets have pushed them out pretty far. Nikola Jokic has had to come out pretty far in order to do so. And so it's made him vulnerable if Damian Lillard can get to the corner, if he can get around Nikola Jokic on drives, if he crosses over, if he splits. Uh, Jokic does a pretty good job of not letting Lillard split, but Lillard has enough athleticism and speed in order to get around Jokic if he gets that high on the, the pick and roll. So it's a choice. It's going to be tough if Lillard just shoots like 8 of 10 from 3, 9 of 14 from 3, something absurd like that. Denver can still win. They've proven that they can win a game like that. But the defense at the rim is going to have to be better than what it was in Game 3. Because I thought that Denver did a good job of pushing out on those deep threes. But in the process, they gave up a lot of stuff underneath the rim on kickouts. That's Michael Porter. That's Aaron, uh, not Aaron Gordon. That's Austin Rivers. That's Vaku Campazzo. Guys of that nature who aren't on the ball. If Aaron Gordon is defending Damian Lillard, which he did, and he did a decent job. It wasn't perfect, but it was decent. Uh, if Aaron Gordon and Nikola Jokic are up the floor, that that means that Michael Porter has to have his head on a string, and the rest of those guys have to be better too. So we're going to see. They usually try to put Michael Porter in those situations, so I, it's going to be tough. Like Michael Porter is going to have to read whether Jokic gets beat, read whether there's a big... Uh, that, that comes through the middle of the lane and read whether the pass is going to come through to his man on the backside of the play or if it's going to be a play at the rim. Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot to process. And for, for Damian Lillard and Yusuf Nurkic, who's massive and can dunk over him, and for the man who he's usually guarding, it's usually Robert Covington in the corner. Covington will make shots. He also did airball one. So maybe that's what Denver should be giving up is they should be giving up corner threes to Covington. But I don't know. There's, it's it's a tough prospect for whoever has to do it. Number five, Yusuf Nurkic. He's actually a plus 21, plus minus, in 89 minutes across three games. And as Cantor, he is a minus 27 in 38 minutes. Now, that doesn't make up the entirety of of the Blazers rotation because they've gone small in a lot of the minutes when Nurkic isn't out there when he fouls out. Uh, and I expect 
that they're going to try to play Nurkic as much as they possibly can. And in the minutes that they don't play Nurkic, I think the canter is gone. I think they're probably going to go to Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. I think they'll probably go to maybe Derek Jones Jr., somebody like that. They'll slide Robert Covington over to center at times. And it's going to be fascinating to see how they finish the game uh, if if Nurkic is in foul trouble. Because they won't be finishing it with cancer. I thought that they did a good job, the Blazers did, of playing five out. Uh, and it put Denver in a, a really tough situation where they were basically trading twos for threes. With the Blazers getting threes and many of those opportunities and the Nuggets only getting twos. So it helped the Blazers get back into the game a little bit. That involves them making a bunch of shots. But it also puts Jokic and Porter both in tough situations, and they're going to have to battle through it and make some defensive plays. But I think the real takeaway from that stat, Nurkic being a plus 21 in 89 minutes, uh, he's going to have to play as many minutes as possible. And for the minutes that he's not going to play, it's pretty clear. And as Cantor isn't the answer, uh, they're going to change up their rotation. That would be like I would be shocked heading into a game four if they didn't. Um, we'll see what they actually do, but I, I would be, I would be floored. Number six, Denver's starting unit is plus 15 in 56 minutes, which is, it directly conflicts with the fact that Portland's starting unit is plus 13 in 56 minutes. They've been successful at different times. Uh, sometimes Denver's unit does really well. Sometimes Portland's unit does really well. Uh, a lot of times, the success of those two units happens at different times when the opposing team starters aren't on the floor. Uh, it doesn't happen often, but I think those groups win on the margins when uh, the other team starters aren't out there, which I think is fascinating. When they're both out there, this is via pbpstats.com, uh, the Nuggets are plus 12 in 43 minutes when the starters when their starters are against the Portland starters. So here's what that means. In the 13 minutes that Denver plays with their starters when Portland doesn't have a full cadre of five on five, they're still plus three. They're still pretty good, pretty even. In the time where Portland is on the floor without uh, uh, in, the, in the 13 minutes that Portland is on the floor, when Denver doesn't have their full complement of starters, the Blazers are plus 25. Because, like, you have to make up that gap somehow. So it really is like a plus 25 in 13 minutes. I'm going to have to go back and check what happened in those, st in those stints. I wonder if it's just because, like, the Nuggets were late to get their, like, Jokic back on the floor in the second or the fourth quarter or something like that. Or if it just happened at various points, and that's where they're winning on the margins. We're going to have to figure that out. And then number seven, the Blazers have spent 97.5% of this series with at least two starters on the floor. This is via pbpstats.com. Uh, it is the second highest amount in the NBA behind the Utah Jazz. Uh, here's why this matters. Uh, these games have been intense. 48 minutes, 48 minutes, 48 minutes, you've got, what is that, 142, 144, 144, 144 minutes and 97% of that, 98% of that has come with at least two starters on the floor. 
The Blazers play their guys heavy minutes, heavier than Denver. Their starters might tire the deeper the series goes. They also might not. You definitely shouldn't count on that. But what I will say is that I think Yusuf Nurkic has a really, really difficult job when matching up with Nikola Jokic for almost all of his minutes. If he continues to tire throughout this series and Jokic continues to display good conditioning, we'll see how that goes. We'll see whether Denver can take advantage of that. Jokic actually, I thought, looked pretty tired at the end of Game 3. Like, as soon as he got onto the floor in in the fourth quarter with about 7.30 left, thought he looked pretty exhausted. So we're going to have to figure that out. We're going we're gonna to see how he handles that and whether playing 72 games in the regular season and a whole bunch of high leverage, heavy playoff minutes, whether that affects him, whether that affects the, the uh, conditioning level or not. Um, I'm curious to see whether Denver can close this thing out and whether they could win this game four, because it would be a big pivot if they did. So when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the adjustments that I think Portland is going to make and how Denver can counteract that. Uh, But before we do, this podcast, as you know, it is sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Constant promotions going on at DraftKings. The most recent one, 40-1 to odds on any basketball game. If you get your bet, you have to put down a $5 bet, and if you win it, you get $200 in free credits. It's a great deal. I used it. I got it on the latest money line for Denver Stiffs, or for for the Nuggets game in Game 3. Uh, it's a great deal. DraftKings, they constantly do these deals. For every single game, you'll find a new promotion. Uh, They make sure to take care of their new customers. All you have to do, sign up with DraftKings Sportsbook, is to make sure to use promo code MHS when you download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use promo code MHS to turn $5 into $200 in free credits. That's promo code MHS. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, wager paid out in site credits, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. All right, back here on Pickaxe and Roll. Thank you so much for making me a part of your day. If you're listening to this on Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, uh, make sure to head over to Denver Stiffs. We're going to have a preview of the game. We're going to have some other content. Uh, make sure to hop into the comments section. You can talk and chat with other fans. Uh, also, make sure to check out Mile High Sports. They're doing some great stuff. Uh, uh, Anilo Piro is doing some great betting stuff and betting guides on there. He's doing a lot of great work. So make sure to check out his stuff over there. They've got some great content as always. So uh, make sure to check all that stuff out and support local journalism. I think it's uh, if I, I think we're basically going to have another blackout for Game Five from NBA TV. Uh, we we don't have to really talk about that seriously right now, but it just puts so much pressure on 
sites like ours, uh, Denver Stiffs, Mile High Sports, DNVR, uh, the local journalism and the local media markets that to, to do everything and to have to carry the, the burden of this uh, for for a company that doesn't want to watch games or whatnot. So it's been it's been frustrating. But what I will say is that if you support us, continue to uh, visit the sites, uh, send your love. It's always appreciated. And, and I know that we have great content all the time. And I, I'm glad to be able to showcase all of my writers, podcasters, social media folks. Everyone has done a great job, and especially over at Denver Stiff. So make sure to come over and share your support on that preview. All right. Adjustments. This is a really important piece of coaching. This is a really important piece of getting out in front of what you think that the opposing team is going to do. This is adjusting to the adjustments. Uh, I have a feeling that the first thing that the Blazers are going to do is they're going to seriously discuss whether single-covering Nikola Jokic or double-teaming Nikola Jokic is the right strategy. Uh, so far, they've done, a, they've done single coverage. And one thing that it does pretty consistently is that if you show just one person in in between Nikola Jokic and the basket, then what it does is it forces him to work. It forces him to work for those opportunities. If the jumper isn't falling, he has to go into the post. He has to drive. He has to be physical against a physical player in, in Yusuf Nurkic. And then it's supposed to limit the, the three-point attempts around him. It's supposed to limit those opportunities. Now, Denver still got up 38 threes. So the Blazers did a poor job with that defensive game plan in Game 3. I have no idea whether they're going to single cover or double cover Jokic. If they single cover him, then you want to just do more of the same. You want Jokic to be the guy that leads you. Uh, you want to find other opportunities for flare screen actions and back cuts off of screens. Uh, some other DHO stuff with Nikola Jokic at the top of the key. Pick and rolls, pick and pops. Uh, you got to find ways to get other players involved without just watching him in the block if it's single coverage. If it's double coverage, I think you want him in the post. And I think you want Aaron Gordon on the opposite block and or the short corner. You want Michael Porter at the top of the key. And you want Austin Rivers and Faku Campazzo. Also, kind of in between the top of the key and the opposite wing in the corner, the opposite corner. It's tough because I, I'm not sure, like, you want to put Michael Porter in position where he can get a lot of those opportunities. So, I think the best way to do it, if you are, if you're getting double teamed, I think the best way for Denver to do it is have him on the opposite wing because what that does is sometimes he'll have the opportunity to cut through the, the middle of the lane at an angle, and Jokic does a great job of finding those opportunities. And sometimes you'll have an opportunity where the guy in the corner could come up and set a flare screen for him so that he can get to the corner. Michael Porter can. Jokic can pass the ball over the top in what looks like a hammer set, and they can get him the ball for a free corner three. You also have an opportunity that if he just stays out there, if the ball gets uh, kicked out to the top of the key with somebody like Faku or Austin Rivers, 
then you have an opportunity to then just swing the ball over to him and he can hit a three over somebody. So there are ways to combat the single coverage versus double teaming. It involves other guys making threes. It involves Austin Rivers staying hot. It involves Faku Campazzo staying hot. But more than anything, you want Nicole or you want Michael Porter to be the guy that benefits here. Because he's had a rough go. He's had a difficult time with the physicality. And that I think is number two on the list of adjustments. Game three, the Blazers were very physical. Game four, they're upping that to eleven. You know that they are fighting for their playoff lives, that they're fighting for their lives as an organization. Those guys may or may not be back if they don't get this done. So you can expect a higher level of physicality. You can expect Norman Powell to continue to make his life hell, Michael Porter's life. And he's done a really good job of that over the course of these past couple games, especially. Uh, When Porter drives to the rim, when he cuts, when he has a DHO, when he's trying to come off ball uh, for a back cut or a screen or something like that, Powell has been on his hip for the entire time. And what that really has done is it has neutralized him inside the arc. Porter's still talented enough that he can shoot over pretty much anybody from the perimeter. And they're going to have to overcorrect for him so much in some cases that as soon as he relocates, he'll have an open three at other places. But Denver has to do a good job of helping Porter free up from that physicality. He has to expect it. He has to know that it's coming, and he has to handle it better than he did in Game 3. This feels like a Porter moment. This feels like an opportunity for him, much like Jamal Murray has had in when he was starting up with this Nuggets group. In those first couple games, you start to figure things out. You start to understand the ebbs and flows of when the opposing team's going to get at you, when they're going to let you roam free a little bit more, and take advantage of those opportunities. Porter has to take advantage. And if not, he's got to get Powell in foul trouble. Because I think there's an opportunity for that too. If Powell is in his airspace for the entire time, being extremely physical, Porter's got to do a little bit of flopping. A little bit of controlled flopping. You don't want him to be just like wild out there, but you want him to flop just a little bit. Because that will give him opportunities to get to the line, get some free and easy points, see the ball go through the rim, get into a rhythm. And then it also has Norman Powell giving him a little bit of extra space for Porter to then knock down jumpers for him to get to the rim. Overall, though, he's just got to be stronger. He's got to be stronger with the ball. He's got to be stronger without the ball. Has to establish his space. And he's got to find ways to use his dribble in order to free up that space. Because if they're going to press into his airspace that much, he's got to get by, guys. Because once he does... It should be easy layups at the rim. It really should. Number three, Lillard is going to relentlessly attack Michael Porter Jr. and Nikola Jokic every single chance he can get. This isn't new. This isn't something that's like, I think this is just going to be something that's turned up to 11. Like, I think the Blazers game plan has mostly been good 
they've attacked Nikola Jokic a lot and forced him to move in the pick and roll. And when they aren't attacking Jokic, they're attacking Michael Porter. Porter did a really poor job on the defensive end in containment, in angles on the pick and roll. In when he was switched, he was giving up the baseline. He was giving up uh, easy driving lanes. He has to be better. He has to be more responsive. He has to feel like, okay, it's okay if they hit a three over me because you can just step up just a, a partial step the next time and have a chance to block at being 6'10 with a seven-foot wingspan and being as athletic as he is. He has to find a way to make it work. Jokic also has to be better. Jokic got beat around the corner several times uh, going to the rim. It usually leads to baskets for the opposing team. If you're high hedging, if you get around the hedge, the ball handler, they're then in a five-on-three situation. It's not good enough. Jokic has to do better than that. Uh, He will be better. I think he was pretty tired. But it's something that, just keep an eye on it. Number four. No Inez Cantor with the bench. You're likely going to see Rondé Hollis Jefferson at center. He was the guy that Terry Stotts turned to in Game 3. At one point, he turned to Derek Jones Jr. in Game 2 to try to stop Michael Porter Jr. from getting threes. What I will say is that I think that they're going to live with Norman Powell, Robert Covington, guys like that. Those guys, they're going to live with whatever Porter does against those guys. They might even live with switches against CJ and Dame. Uh, Because if those guys are physical with Porter, then Porter has shown that he could be rattled. So Porter has to come back at them, uh, make that a change. But this is more about center. Uh, With the bench unit, it would not surprise me if the Blazers go super small. It would not surprise me if they decide that the best course of action for them is to play Enes Cantor zero minutes. You're going to be undersized against even Paul Millsap and Jermichael Green. If you're the Nuggets, this is where you got to take advantage. Denver's most common bench lineup so far has been Monte Morris, Marcus Howard, Michael Porter, Paul Millsap, and Jermichael Green. You're going to have Carmelo Anthony and Rondé Hollis Jefferson on Green and Millsap. I think that if you're Millsap, you can take advantage of that. Hollis Jefferson is more of a wing masquerading as a big because he doesn't have a jump shot. He's athletic. He's built like Robert Covington. Covington's a little bit stronger though, a little bit more like a little bit more sturdy. Uh If the Blazers just decide that they are going to go small, they're going to switch everything on that unit. The Nuggets are going to have to slip screens. They're going to have to find the high-low in the post. They're going to have to post up Millsap against smaller players. And you might even see them try to get Michael Porter switched onto one of those guys. Because if Michael Porter finds an opportunity to go at somebody that's not Norman Powell or Robert Covington, he should try and take it. Nobody else can really guard him. And he's shown the ability that when he's with the second unit, that he can get to the rim and do some really impressive things. Or he just uses that as a decoy, 
uses his three-point as a decoy, and everybody else gets another opportunity. Monte Morris is going to have to be big against switches. He is going to have a lot of opportunities that he was getting against Enes Kanter and Yusuf Nurkic and guys like that. I think those are going to turn into opportunities against Rondé Hollis Jefferson and Carmelo Anthony. So he might have to attack Melo in isolation. That might be his next prerogative. It's going to be mid-range pull-ups. It's going to be drives to the rim. It's going to be maybe jump stop and fake a shot and draw a foul. Monte is going to have to be big. That I know. And last one before we get out of here. Damian Lillard, he may not sit at all in the second half. I'm dead serious about that. It would not surprise me if he played 24 minutes. Whether that means Anthony Simons is not going to be on the floor or CJ McCollum's getting a prolonged rest or they decide to go away from somebody else, maybe they just go super small. Maybe they go Simons, Lillard, and McCollum on the floor at the same time with like Mello and uh, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. If they go with that lineup, then it shows that they need to score. And that's the only way that they are going to stay in the game. Lillard is going to attack in the second half. He won't let that team go down 2-1, to one, or 3-1. Uh, They're going to try to do everything that they can to get that split. It's almost more important than if they lose Game 5, as weird as that sounds. Um, so, Denver, they've been playing Monte Morris and Marcus Howard with the second unit. Think if Lillard is out there, you probably have to automatically go with Shaq Harrison. Monte Morris can be out there. He can guard CJ. He can guard Damon switches. Shaq Harrison, that's his time to shine. That if Lillard is on the floor in the fourth quarter, at the beginning of the fourth quarter, after playing all 12 minutes of the third, Michael Malone has to go with Shaq Harrison. That's his best chance. You go with Shaq Harrison. You keep Michael Porter on the floor. You have Will. Uh, you have Monte Morris. You have Jamichael Green. You have Paul Millsap. It's a lot of size. Uh, it's going to be tough. You probably put Michael Porter on Anthony Simons and just have him in that situation. It's a tough matchup, but you just got to do what you got to do. This could be Denver's opportunity to step on the Blazers' throat. To really put them in a tough position where they don't know how to act after that. Teams get weird when you apply pressure to them. I talked about this last night. If Denver can be the one applying the pressure this time, if they can go up 3-1 in a series, that would go a long, long way for this team's development. Denver's always had that underdog mentality before now. They've always been the team that's been in a position where they've been down in a series. They've only ever been down 2-1 in the playoffs. They've never been up 2-1. How they respond to that, whether they whether they go hard for this game four, whether they say, hey, we're good, we got the split, it's going to tell a lot about where these players are with just how intense they want to be about this. Denver's okay if they go back to Denver 2-2. I would prefer if they go 3-1. I think everybody here would, of course, if only to see how the opposing team reacts, to see how Denver reacts. 
I want to see them press their advantage because that is what they have. They have a major advantage. I don't know how they're going to respond to it. We'll see what they do. That'll do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll. Uh, Thank you so much. We've got a game tomorrow at 2 o'clock, so make sure to check that out. Or not check it out, but make sure to tune in and and don't miss it. 2 p.m. Mountain Time. Make sure to check that one out. Make sure to check out denverstiffs.com, Mile High Sports, uh, everything that we're doing over there. uh, We're doing some great stuff, so check all that stuff out. Gage Bridgeford had a really good piece for Film Friday uh, on Friday, obviously. Uh, Make sure to check that one out. He does great work. And for all of us over at Denver Stiffs and Mile High Sports, thank you so much. Talk to you guys very soon. Thank you.